Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. from the book of Luke, chapter 19, 
verses 1 through 10. Jesus and Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a rich, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost.
you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My first school was run by the Sisters of Loretto, and I loved it. The, the sisters had moved their main convent and the attached school from the, the center of Kansas City to a 38-acre parcel on the edge of town. And it was, it was just after Vatican II, and Vatican II had given encouragement and freedom for new ways of doing things with more openness and playfulness and joy. And the sisters took that and ran with it. Our school didn't have classrooms. Instead, we had what were called pods. And they were big open spaces, about as big as a, as a grocery store, maybe two or three times the size of this sanctuary. And discrete learning spaces were created just by grouping you know, some desks over here and a rug over here where there would be circle time. And we even had inside the pods uh, makeshift tree houses and bathtubs filled with pillows for independent reading. It was the 70s. <laughs> we were allowed to roam quite freely during recess in the woods and, and fields and climbing trees and exploring. And I remember there were, it, was, it was pretty much a regular occurrence after recess that some, some kids weren't there. <laughs> A search party had to go into the fields and look for them, and that was just kind of part of it. Um, my, my journey to school involved three different cars. We left our house, and we were dropped off at another house. And then those parents took us to another house, and then we got into the final car and arrived at school about an hour later. To a five-year-old, it seemed normal. That was my first school, and so I just thought that's, that's what happens. That's how you get to school. It was somewhat bewildering, uh, but I just followed along the flow of things. But the next year, I began to notice more on that journey, and as we got closer to school, I noticed that the, the houses seemed bigger and the neighborhoods seemed nicer. And as I began to make friends and be invited back to my friends' homes, I noticed differences between where they lived and where I lived. I lived what then and now is considered the inner city of Kansas City, where my dad was appointed as pastor of the Methodist Church. And then somehow I learned that um, at school, I was on something called a poverty scholarship. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. So one day I said to my mom, Mom, are we poor? And she said, we're rich in love. <laughs> well, even at, at six, I suspected the answer to my question was yes, or, or that maybe you know, something else was going on. And so I tried again with my dad. And I said, Dad, are we poor? And his response was equally evasive. He said, well, the thing about a pastor, the thing about being a pastor, is people will always find a way to pay the pastor. Even if it's a chicken, or a basket of apples, the pastor's family will never go hungry. <laughs> so I have, to, I have to confess this morning that we, we didn't put a line on the commitment card for chicken or a basket of apples, but they are welcome. 
So what does it mean to be poor? And what does it mean to be rich? And though I was a bit frustrated at the time, my parents actually did a good job of answering my question, not giving in to facile or easy definitions. And of course, I didn't identify it at the time, but they were answering me theologically. They were communicating to me what we believe to be true about money and wealth and abundance. They were pointing to the truth that poverty has a direct relationship with whether or not our basic needs of shelter and food and belonging and love are met. And they were proclaiming a belief that no one is poor if we share. So I have another confession to make this morning. I, I no longer wonder if my family is poor. I have a good salary. I have a, I have a pension. I have benefits. My wife has a good job. We were lucky to have bought our first house in California before prices got crazy, as they have done for the last 20 years. And I now know that I have a kind of financial security uh, that I wasn't sure about as a kid. And in the ways that my parents answered my six-year-old questions, I'm still rich. I am surrounded by abundant love. And the reality is that we always have not only more than enough to eat, but we often get to eat truly delicious food that goes well beyond chicken and apples. So when I came to this morning's text, and considered these questions. What does it mean to be poor? And what does it mean to be rich? And I wondered who I was in the story, as we're always you know, asked to do when we come to any scripture. You know, Who are you? Where do you identify with these characters? I thought to myself, good Lord, I've become Zacchaeus. <laughs> well, the story of Zacchaeus is one that is familiar. It's a godly play story. And it lends its, itself very well to teaching in Sunday school because it's relatable for children. Zacchaeus is, is, is described to be a, a short man. And as the, um, the children's song goes, he, he's described to be a wee little man. And he couldn't see Jesus over the crowd like many children experience, you know, not being able to see over the people who are taller than them. So he climbs a tree. He's a chief tax collector, and as the scripture states simply in two words, was rich. As the story typically gets told, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed a tree, and Jesus told him to come down and invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for a meal, while others criticized Jesus for eating with a, with a sinner. Then Zacchaeus repented of his greedy ways that had made him rich, pledging to give half of his goods to others and repay anyone who he has defrauded fourfold. It's a neat conversion story. And that's okay. The story can be read that way. But there are a couple of other important things to pay attention to. First, Jesus actually doesn't do anything or say anything specific about Zacchaeus's wealth or occupation. The connection between Jesus' eating with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' repaying and sharing isn't as clear as it's often been suggested to be. And most importantly, the verb 
And Zacchaeus's proclamation of what it, he's doing or is going to do is actually in present tense in the original Greek. So his words are more accurately translated. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In the New Revised Standard Version, this sentence is translated with future tense. So it kind of takes, takes off from where the actual Greek is. And it, it tra is translated into, I will give and I will restore, making it fit better with this conversion, repentance, blessing, progression. But the original text is, is present tense. So we really do need to wrestle with that. And how does our understanding of the story of Zacchaeus change if he is already giving and restoring when he meets Jesus? Well, something else is going on here. Recently, I've become a fan of the television show, The Good Place. Has anybody ever watched that? I, I love it. I, I, if you haven't seen it, you can stream the whole four seasons on Netflix. And it's basically about four people who think they've gone to heaven, the good place, but are actually in the bad place. And, unwitting, and they're unwittingly set up to torture each other and themselves with the same ego-driven grasping that caused them problems in their earthly lives. It's often silly and it's very funny, but it also deals with big moral questions. Like what does it mean to be good? And what is heaven? And what do we owe each other? So I don't want to give away too many spoilers if you haven't seen the series, but suffice it to say that one of the things the, groups, the group learns is that good acts don't rack up many or sometimes any points towards staying in the good place if the motivation is for some secondary gain for themselves. Well, Zacchaeus knew that Jesus saved others, gave others new life. And I'm not sure that the reading of Zacchaeus's pledge while he's standing right in front of Jesus, the one who offers new life and salvation, would gain him too many points toward the good place. But what if Zacchaeus is already giving half of his goods and repaying fourfold? Then we see a person who has discovered that to be rich is to share, and yet he still lacks something. What does he lack? Well, the scripture tells us he can't see Jesus, and he's derided by his neighbors. There's something in what he lacks that he believes might be remedied by the one of whom he has heard, who heals the sick, lifts up the poor, and consistently reaches out in love to those who are lost and broken and oppressed. Throughout Luke's gospel, we see Jesus doing the unexpected. And he sides consistently with those who are on the margins. Now we might reject the idea that Zacchaeus is marginalized because of his financial wealth and position, but he is ostracized without community. The reference to his lacking stature means more than just height. He is, as the scripture also says, poor in spirit. 
And Jesus singles him out. Why? Perhaps Jesus knows that Zacchaeus, that, that, that while Zacchaeus is rich, trying to do the right thing with his wealth, he's also lost. His motivation is self-centered. He doesn't exactly know how to regain community. We cannot know for sure, but we do know that as a tax collector, he was uh, in the employ of the, the Roman oppressors. And in that engagement, he has done a, a kind of thing to his soul that has moved him outside of a sense of being whole and good. And yet by seeing Zacchaeus calling to him, staying him, with him and blessing him, Jesus declares for, for all to hear that this one, even this chief tax collector is a child of Abraham, a child of God. To be rich is to be seen and to be known. To be rich is to be in community and part of a tradition that stretches back into the ages and forward into the future. To be rich is to sit at table with someone we love. To be rich is to be in relationship with God. What does it mean to be rich? Well, let's not kid ourselves. A safe place to sleep and live, enough to eat and drink, these are necessary. Zacchaeus had these things, but he wasn't truly rich until he was in relationship with Jesus, brought into community and seen and held as a child of God. I want to believe that Zacchaeus's true conversion comes after the scene from our scripture today. In my version, after this encounter with Jesus where Zacchaeus comes into true richness and abundance, his life continues to change. He quits his job. He realizes that's not right livelihood. He begins doing not just financial reparation, but moral and physical and spiritual reparation. As a found child of God, he begins to feel the sense of belonging and love that helps him keep changing and opening up to true riches that are found in the path of Jesus with every decision and with every interaction, spreading the good news of abundance in sharing, in mutuality, and care until all have all of our needs met of shelter and food, belonging and purpose and love. May we go and do likewise. Amen. God's given us years of happiness here. Now we must part. And as 
angels come and call for you the pains of grief tug at my heart oh my darling my darling my heart breaks as you take your long journey The days will be empty, the nights so long without you, my love. And when God calls for you, I'm left alone, but we will be in heaven. You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online Connect card at epworth.org berkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. And when I come we will walk hand in hand as one in heaven in the family of God. Oh, my darling, my darling, my heart breaks as you take your long journey. Oh, my darling, my darling.